Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I am Brad Alexander, your host and resident beggar who found bread. I'm just hoping to let others know where I found it. The bread of life, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah. This episode, I Am the Sword. It's a catchy little ditty by Motorhead, and yeah, I'm probably the only person who's ever referred to a song by Motorhead as a catchy little ditty. And in all honesty, I was never a big Motorhead fan, per se. I kind of liked some of their stuff. The final lines to the song, I Am the Sword, they go like this. I, I am the sword, I do the work of the Lord. Now, let me make this clear. This is not a Christian song, and they are not a Christian band, okay? Just to clear that up, that's not what I'm saying in this. They're, they're just not. Um, it's just a notable line from this song. That's all it is. Lemmy Kilmeister, the late lead singer of the band, actually was a road manager for Emerson, Lake, and Palmer back in the day, in the late 60s. And his given name is Ian. Yeah, he earned the nickname Lemmy because... He would often go around asking people for money. Let me have a fiver, and so forth. That's how he got his nickname. And oh, you may not be aware of this, but SpongeBob actually used a Motorhead song. Yeah, one of their episodes. The song You Better Run was adapted to You Better Swim on an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. See that? You have just learned more about Motorhead in about 34 seconds than you have in your entire life. You're welcome. But as you know, it ain't about the music, it's about the message. So, present arms. I am the sword. We've been taking a look at the seven churches to whom Messiah wrote letters in Revelation, and primarily discussing present-day application and implications of the accolades, the rebukes, and the calls to repentance in these letters. And if you'd like to catch up on the other episodes, uh, we've, we've completed four thus far. Black Magic Woman, which covers the church at Thyatira. Comfortably Numb, we discussed the church at Sardis. Owner of a Lonely Heart focuses on Ephesus, and Stronger looks at the church in Smyrna. For this episode, we're going to check out the church in Pergamum. And we read Yeshua's letter to Pergamum in Revelation 2, beginning at verse 12. So let's start there. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword... I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one else knows except the one who receives it. In each of these letters, 
Messiah addresses them to the angel of the church. And it should be noted that it is commonly held, and I agree, that these letters were initially written for the pastors or congregational leaders of the individual churches. The word angel is also translated as messenger, and thus the messenger of the church would be the congregational leader. And I believe the application for today is that these letters are for church leaders to familiarize themselves, taking an honest and fearless inventory of themselves and their flock, the flock God has entrusted to them, and for members of the congregations for us to look at, to hold them up as a mirror to look and to make sure we are doing what God wants us to do. In this introduction, Yeshua refers to himself as him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, this description should remind us of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, which say, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He has that sword, and he is that sword, because we know from John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, we read, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeshua, Jesus, is the Word of God. He is the living Word. He is the Word made flesh, and the Word, as Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, the Word is the sword of the Spirit, sharper than any two-edged sword. All right, (laughs) I'm about to get my preach on with that stuff, because that will go, that will preach. But let me get back to it. He opens by telling this church, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now to most of the other churches, he says, I know your deeds, except to Smyrna. Smyrna, he said, I know your your tribulation and your poverty. And here he tells this church in Pergamum, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So this must be important. Initially, Early Christians referred to the temple of Zeus in Olympia as the throne of Satan because of false god worship and the rituals that were observed there. In Pergamum, a basilica was erected where people were required to present offerings to the emperor as a deity. Yes, making offerings to the emperor as God. Grain offerings and things like that. So anyone who refused was put to death. Kind of reminiscent of Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar and wanting everyone to bow down to to the statue of him, right? And then Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they would have no part of it. And I refer to them by those names because if you look up the definitions of the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah, those are not flattering names. Those Those are not names by which I believe they want to be referred. So... Anyway, I digress. But there's, there's similarities to what was happening there in Pergamum 
and what happened with Nebuchadnezzar in uh, Babylon. So followers of Messiah in Pergamum, of course, would refuse to give offerings to the emperor as God, and they were executed. Thus, it gained the name, the throne of Satan. And this appears to be what happened to Antipas, of whom this passage says, Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, how about those accolades? Of the church, he says, Yet you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. They would not deny the name of Yeshua, and they lived his faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. And how, how humbling and how amazing to have Messiah call him his faithful witness who was killed among you. He was martyred for his faith where Satan dwells. Y'all ready for this? Because this stuff is happening in the world as we speak, as we live, and it is coming soon to the shores of America. Brad, that won't happen in America. We're a Christian nation. Okay, no, we're not. And please, 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 Watch and pray. Open your eyes and open your Bibles. This church in Pergamum, they were in the thick of it. And when I read about, when I read about them, it reminds me of the quote by C.T. Studd. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's C.T. Studd. And that's what I'm talking about, yo. Dude, that is straight up gospel gangster right there. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That is such a strong statement. Following the way, Jesus, is not about wrapping up in a cocoon and, and withdrawing from the lost world who so desperately needs the gospel. They need Jesus. It's not about withdrawing. It's walking out in it, behind enemy lines, seeking to set captives free in his name. That's where these believers set up shop, where Satan, the adversary, dwells. And Yeshua says, beyond all the accolades and, and positive things that he said about these believers, he says he has a few things against this church. First of all, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Holding to the teachings of Balaam. So we read about Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 through 24, and actually early in chapter 25, we see some of the fallout from what happened with Balaam and, and what he taught Balak. And we, we know the story. Most are familiar with it. Balaam sets off to get money. He wanted to get money from Balak, and who told him, hey, if you come and curse God's people, I'm going to pay you. So an angel, of, an angel of the Lord stands in his way as he's going, and he's oblivious to it. So his donkey keeps like veering off the path, like, dude, no, 
there's someone there who's going to kill us. He's got a sword, and the donkey sees and keeps going off and laying down. And finally, Balaam starts beating the donkey, and then the donkey talks to him. That gets his attention. <laughs> finally, it got his attention. And, and, and the angel, when, when Balaam finally sees the angel, the, the angel is like, I was about to kill you and the cult you rode in on. And so Balaam doesn't curse God's people, all right? But he does go to Balak. God tells him to, but he says, no, you're going to say what I tell you to say over my people. And so Balaam does this. He follows He follows through and he even lets Balak know, uh, yeah, I'm going to say what Adonai tells me to say over his people. And so he blesses them. So what did he do wrong? You know, from what we read in Numbers 22 through 24 is pretty much nutshelled in what I just said. So what did he do wrong? Well, he taught Balak the stumbling blocks that would trip up God's people. So no, he did not speak curses over them, but he taught their enemy the stumbling blocks that would trip them up. We read in Numbers 31, starting at verse 14, And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who had come from service in the war. Moses said to them, Have you let all the women live? Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Balaam advised Balak to distract the men of Israel with the women who would entice them into sexual sin and into false god worship. Wait, Brad, God wanted them to kill the women too? Yep. I think that's equality, right? See, God will bless any man or woman who blesses his people and curse any man or woman who curses them. I think that's equal wages for equal work. Isn't that what we've been striving for? (laughs) Sorry, okay. Someone's going to hate me over that. Look, God is not sexist. He is not a respecter of persons. At any rate, in any event, Jude also references Balaam's error. And listen, Balaam did what he did for money. That was his motivation. He still was looking for a way to get paid by Balak. And we see... Again, lots of modern-day preachers nowadays that compromise God's Word for money. And my friends, that is a part of the teaching of Balaam. But I, I want to mention one popular preacher here, because I know I have railed against the prosperity gospel and those, and I hate that phrase even, because it's not the gospel. But anyway, the prosperity preachers and and. Uh, there's one guy, though, who is a a popular modern-day preacher, and by God's grace, he has not fallen into that trap. And I've gained, the more I learn about this guy, the more respect I gain for him and how he honors God in his life. And that's Francis Chan. He pastored a mega church, um, and then he eventually he stepped down because he did not want what he did to be about him and his personality, and he saw that as a trap of the whole mega church phenomenon. So he stepped down. He walked away. He and his family are currently doing mission work in Asia. 
They are going to villages where the people have never heard the name of Jesus. They are not even aware that there is a God, one God who created the heavens and the earth and who created them and who loves them. So that's what he, that's where he's, what he's out doing right now. And as I understand it, just a quick story, he was getting ready to publish his book, Crazy Love, published several years ago. He's getting ready to, to publish this book. And it is about, you know, if the title makes you wonder, well, that's, that's a strange title for a book. It's, it's, speaking to how in in the eyes or in the in the mind of man god's love is is foreign to us it's crazy to us to think of how much god loves us so that's what the what the book is about his publisher tells him this book is going to be big and so francis is like well what do you mean big how how big is big and the guy says like you're going to make a million bucks on this book and francis chan said no uh-uh that's not right. He talks to his wife, they pray, they get back to the publisher, and they put it in the contract. All proceeds, all the proceeds go to digging fresh water wells in needy countries. All the money from this book, that's where it's going. Because he didn't want that money. That money, he, he didn't want it. it. He saw it as a trap. <laughs> Praise God. How amazing. That book made over 10 million dollars. How awesome is God in honoring his humility, this man's humility. Just, it's an amazing, amazing thing to see. And I I keep him lifted up because uh, he seems to be very aware of the traps that come with popularity and uh, uh, praise God. Anyway, back to the church at Pergamum. In addition to following the teachings of Balaam, there are some among them that hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which we discussed my understanding of, of their teachings and their deeds in the Owner of a Lonely Heart episode. Suffice it to say, Yeshua hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He says as much. So he tells this church with regard to those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Wait, who is Jesus coming after with the sword of his mouth? People within the church who have turned from God's ways. Remember again what Hebrews says about this sword, his word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The sword of his mouth will lay us bare. There is nowhere to hide. There is nothing that can be concealed. And those who do not repent will find themselves staring down that blade without excuse as he has offered the opportunity to repent. And yet they refuse. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Hallelujah. To the one who repents and overcomes, to the one who conquers, Messiah will give the hidden bread of heaven. And I believe this is somehow a reference to that manna which was stored in the Ark of the Covenant, that bread from heaven. And then a white stone, and white symbolizes purity. A white stone will be given to you and your new name, a name no one else knows. This, it's a name between you and Yeshua. Yeshua is going to hand this white stone with a new name written on it. And it's going to, and he's, and he's telling you, this is who you are. A name bestowed upon you by Messiah on a stone that represents your purity for having repented and conquered. And when I think of, of name changes, a couple that just jump into my head right away, of course, Jacob. Right? Jacob, the name, his given name at birth means the usurper. And he had his name changed to Israel, which means he who strives with God. And then, of course, Shimon or Simon, which means to be heard. That's what Simon means, or Shimon, to be heard. Yeshua gave him the name Kepha or Peter which means rock or stone. And when we think about Peter's epistles and his references to the church being living stones built upon the chief cornerstone, Messiah Yeshua, Christ Jesus. How awesome is God? And to the one who conquers, he is going to give a white stone with a new name on it. Hallelujah. Please, my brothers and sisters, let us have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, what He is saying to the churches today. May we examine ourselves in the light of His Word, and, and particularly in light of what He says to the church as a whole in these letters. We must always be willing to repent of what does not align with His Word and His commands, and to walk in His truth. God has paid the price, his son crucified, that we may be reconciled to the Father through that sacrifice. And since he paid the price to those who will bow before him and acknowledge the sacrifice and receive God's grace, we are not our own. We belong to him and we should seek to live as such, to live as his. I want to thank you for your time. I'm a beggar. I'm just a desperate, hungry beggar, and I found bread, the bread of life. And I just want other beggars to know where they can find it in Christ Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah. Thank you once more. Now let's go out and give him heaven. <laughs>